Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. And at the end of that, I was still depressed and I thought, well, what's going on here? And, and, and so I ended up going on this big, long journey all over the world, over 40,000 miles, to interview the leading experts in the world on what causes depression and anxiety and how to solve them. And also just places with really different perspectives, like an Amish village in Indiana, because there's really strong evidence the Amish have low levels of depression, or a city in Brazil where they banned advertising uh, to see if that would make people feel better, to a lab in Baltimore where they were giving people magic mushrooms to see if that made them feel better. Thanks for joining us again. And you're going to be listening to Johan Hari talking about his new book, Lost Connections, uncovering the real causes of depression and unexpected solutions. If you've heard Johan before, you know that Johan can talk, he can go for it. And he does in this, and it's brilliant. So you're listening to Stop and Search on Scooby's Pips Distraction Pieces Network, brought to you by ACAST in association with Elite UK. Let's get on with this. Behind your barricade. Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricade. Where to bounce on Thank you so much for joining us again. As you may know, there's been a big global conversation about mental health recently, and it's been much needed. And this is what Johan gets into within the book, Lost Connections. He did an extensive amount of travel again, just like he did for his first book, Chasing the Scream. And there's a lot to uncover within this, so we're going to go straight into the episode, let Johan do all the talking. He he meets with all sorts of people in the writing of this book, but also different sections of society as well. Like he mentions the Amish, he mentions people in Kentucky, um, and this is a key factor. We're all part of this this global conversation, but we've all got a very different perspective. So, what are our lost connections? What's going on? Why are we suffering? Let's have this chat. And if it's appropriate, which it probably isn't, <laughs> let's uh, if you can find us on social media at ukleep.org on our Facebook. Uh, at ukleap.org on our website, at ukleap on Instagram and at ukleap on Twitter. There, I remembered. So thank you so much, Johan, for joining us on this episode. Let's get straight into this. It's live at Tottenham Court Road, Waterstones. Again, this is Stop and Search. I can tell a weird thing about book signings. I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, when my first book came out... Um, 
at the very first event I ever did, a woman came up to me, it was in Baltimore, and she said to me, will you, um, I was selling the books, and she said, will you write a message to someone I know? And I said, of course. And she said, will you write, dear Peter, it's over, I never loved you anyway. And I was like, no, you're going to have to tell Peter it's over, right? And she got really angry, and she was like, but I've bought the book, so you'd say this. And I'm like, right, but if you asked me to write, like, I love Hitler, I wouldn't say that either. And she got really angry. Anyway, there's no point to that story, it's just a sad tale of a mad person. <laughs> See, I, I feel like I need a better inscription in my book now. <laughs> it's just come up with random stuff. Nick, when, when Johan signs books, come up with a random sentence that he's got to <laughs> sign for you. And I think we give a prize to the, uh, the most random. So let's have a round of applause for Johan Hurry. <laughs> I'm not sure I approve of this forcing the audience to applaud various things related to me. I mean, like, it's quite nice, but it, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's, we, we, you don't you, have to do it. You can disobey him. It's all right. As you can see, we're, we're highly professional here. <laughs> we just kind of launch into it. But I said to Johan when we were talking over there that the last time Johan was here, which is almost a year ago now, it was really? and he was dying of TB, <laughs> and now you nearly died of an apple. <laughs> just, can you give us I a I should bit explain of that I was... Um, I'd just been in Brazil doing some research um, for something else and uh, I'd just spending a load of time with people with crack addiction problems in um, an area they call Crackolandia in Sao Paulo. And uh, it turns out um, that's a really good way to catch tuberculosis, which I did. I remember going to the doctor and being like, what, tuberculosis like a character in a Victorian novel. And he's like, yes, I'm afraid that's what you've got. But anyway, it's fine. So today, uh, I feel like this podcast is cursed because today I was so jet-lagged, I fell over in the street and a bird shat on me. So I feel like it's cursed. But actually, what, what Jason is referring to is a completely other disaster that happened to me, Just this story where I, that I open my book Lost Connections with, which is this thing, the whole three and a half years I was working on this book, I kept thinking about this thing that happened to me in Vietnam, and I couldn't figure out why. And it was only quite late in the process that I realised why I was thinking about it. So I was in Vietnam for another book that I'm researching that I'm going to write. And uh, I was tracking down people who'd survived the war, the American attack on Southeast Asia. And um, one day, we went back to Hanoi, and um, I was walking back to my hotel, which was called the Very Charming Hotel in Hanoi. And um, I saw a woman by the side of the road who was selling apples, and they looked really big and red and inviting. I thought, oh, I've got to have one of them. And I bought one. I crap at haggling, so I paid like $5 for it or something. And I went, took it back to the hotel room, and I was so tired. And I started to eat it, and it tasted absolutely rank. It was tasted the way that I thought uh, food would taste. It, it tasted the way that I thought food would taste after a nuclear war when I was a kid and you watched like films. But uh, I was so tired and so lazy, I, I, uh, I ate about half of it and I thought, well, I have to stop this. I threw it in the bin. Anyway, you can guess what happened next. The next morning I woke up like terrible food poisoning. Um, but, you know, I basically lived for 10 years on KFC in East London, so I know what food poisoning is like. Wasn't that worried about it. I just thought, okay, you've got to let it pass through you. Actually, the KFC shortage at the moment would have traumatised me at an earlier point in my life. Uh, loads of my friends would just text me saying, are you okay, Johan? Um, but the, so, so I was really sick, and, and about three days, just it was awful. And it got to the fourth day, and I thought, you know, I don't have that much time here. So I phoned my, my um, fixer and translator, Juan, and I said, look, let's just go anyway, right? So we went, drove out, it was about five hours into the countryside. He'd lined up these victims of the war for me to meet. And we went and we met this woman who was in her 80s, who was the only person in her village who survived the Vietnam War with her kids. And I was sitting there, she was a very old woman. I remember sitting on the floor of her heart. And as she was speaking, I suddenly felt 
the room kind of spinning around. I've never had this feeling before or since. The room just really, literally like the room was moving. And then I just exploded. I won't give you more details, but I think you imagine what I'm talking about. All over her hut, right? And it's like, I've got the audio of this of me just, she's going, and he's explaining what she said. And I just suddenly this like, go, and it was just, anyway, so, and I'm lying there on the floor and I'm in terrible state. And I said to uh, my fixer, just take me back to Hanoi. I just need another few days in front of CNN. And I'll be all right. And this old woman said, this boy's really ill. You need to take him to the hospital. And I said, no, no just take me back to Hanoi. And he said to me, Johan, this is the only person who survived the Vietnam War, right? I am going to take her health advice over yours. So he takes me to this remote hospital where I was the first Westerner they'd ever treated. And he lied to the doctors. He said, this is a really important Westerner. It will, it will disgrace Vietnam if he dies here, right? So I'm lying there and I, I felt the worst nausea I'd ever felt. And, I, and doctors were asking me lots of questions and I kept saying to them, give me something for the nausea. And the doctor said to me through the translator, you need your nausea. It's a sign. It will tell us what's wrong with you. Anyway, so I'm lying there, and it turned out, they figured out, basically, if you, it's good travel advice for everyone. If you go to Vietnam and you buy an apple, you can't just wash it, even in bottled water. You have to cut the skin off because it's so treated with like pesticides and, and things that it, it, makes, it does that to you. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, you know, that would have been a good thing to investigate, but now I'm going to die. And then I thought... God, I've been killed by an apple. I'm like Eve, and I'm like Snow White, and I'm like Alan Turing. And then I thought, your last thought is revealing that you're an absolutely pretentious cunt, basically. <laughs> um, but anyway, so they, what turned out what happened is basically because I had not retained any liquids for four days, I, um, I, I, my kidneys had stopped working, so it was like I'd been in the desert, basically. So they rehydrated me, and it was fine. A couple of days later, I was good to go home. But the... the, the um, the doctor, I remember when I, I was leaving, I said to the doctor, what would have happened if we had just gone back to Hanoi? And he said, oh, you would have died on the journey. You wouldn't have made it. And I remember, um, I, th I kept thinking about this thing he said, you need your pain, it's a sign, you need your nausea, it's a sign, it will tell us what's wrong with you. And it really helped me to change how I think about depression and anxiety because... I wrote this book, Lost Connections, because there were these two kind of mysteries that were hanging over me. The first was, I'm 39 years old. Every year I've been alive, depression and anxiety levels have increased in Britain. And I thought, why? W what happened? And, and this was related to a kind of mystery about myself, which is why was I still depressed? When I was a teenager, I had gone to my doctor and I'd explained that I had this uh, feeling like... Uh, pain was kind of bleeding out of me. I couldn't control it. I couldn't regulate it. I felt very ashamed about it. And my doctor told me a story that I now realize was a ridiculously oversimplified story. He said, we know why you feel this way. Scientists have proved it. There's a chemical called serotonin. It, it, people have in their brains, makes them feel good. Some people are naturally lacking this chemical. We'll give you these drugs and they'll boost your serotonin levels. You'll feel fine. I felt an incredible amount of relief to be told that. And when I started taking them, I felt a massive boost. And then a couple of months later, this feeling of pain started to come back. So I went back to him. He gave me a higher dose. Again, I felt better. Again, this sense of pain came back. Again, I got given a higher dose. And I was basically in that cycle until for 13 years I was taking the maximum possible dose you can take. And at the end of that, I was still depressed. And I thought, well, what's going on here? And, and 
And so I ended up going on this big, long journey all over the world, over 40,000 miles, to interview the leading experts in the world on what causes depression and anxiety and how to solve them. And also just places with really different perspectives, like an Amish village in Indiana, because there's really strong evidence the Amish have low levels of depression, or a city in Brazil where they banned advertising uh, to see if that would make people feel better to a lab in Baltimore where they were giving people magic mushrooms to see if that made them feel better. Ask me about that if you want. Um, and I think the thing I learned is really related to this thing in Vietnam. What my doctor told me, basically this, this story that it's just a chemical imbalance, um, what that tells us is that your pain is a pathology, right? It's, it's you're, you're broken and this is a pathology. But what I learned from the leading experts in the world on this is there are real biological factors that can make you more sensitive to depression. But overwhelmingly, our depression is a response to, it's a, it's a signal that something's gone wrong in our lives. Everyone in this room knows that you have natural physical needs, right? You need food, you need water, you need uh, clean air, you need uh, the right temperature. If I took those away from you, you would be screwed really quickly, right? There's equally strong evidence, and that's what, in fact, what did happen to me in Vietnam. I didn't have water, right? And that's, you see what happened to me, I nearly died. Um, there's equally strong evidence that human beings, just like we have physical needs, have psychological needs, right? Um, you need to feel you belong. You need to feel your life has meaning and purpose. You need to feel that people see you and value you. You need to feel you've got a future that makes sense. And, and our culture's good at lots of things. I'm glad to be alive today but we've been getting less and less good at meeting people's deeper underlying psychological needs. And that is one of the key reasons why we have this, this rising depression and anxiety crisis. And I realized that, that this thing that I had been told, so if I had ignored my nausea, right, as I was inclined to do, I would have died. In a similar way, I actually thought my job with my pain was to kind of eradicate it, that it was a mal... Like, I spent a lot of my time in the US, and one thing that constantly amazes me is the existence of indigestion pills, right? I don't know if you've ever been offered them in the US, but you go there, perfectly normal people like us will be eating, and they'll go, would you like an indigestion pill, like Pepto-Bismol? And you're like, but wait, indigestion isn't a malfunction, right? That's a sign from your body that you're eating too fast. It, the solution is to slow down, right? Like, if you don't listen to that signal, you'll actually make yourself sick. You'll put on too much weight, you'll, you'll actually injure yourself, right? And I realize there's a kind of similar thing going with our depression. That doesn't mean that we should stoically bear our depression. It means we should stop insulting the signal and start listening to it and start acting on it so that we change the way we live to reduce the fact that so many people are feeling such pain. So it's an extremely long answer to your question. Sorry. No, that's why I love you because you, you, you get you here and then you just queue up and you're gone. That's it. You get like half an hour out of you. It's brilliant. But Going on that theme, there's, there's a theme that runs through the book is about intrinsic and extrinsic values and junk values. Um, and the point being that our sense of ego, again, is both a protection and a barrier, but also an impediment as well. Can you explain on that what you went into in the book? Yeah, so in the book I talk about these nine causes of depression and anxiety for which I could find scientific evidence. And there were two in particular that I found really challenging and really hard to absorb because I realized how much they played out in my own life. So one of them is childhood trauma, which we can talk about later. But So everyone knows junk food has taken over our diets and made us ill, right? Um, I, I realized this for myself when actually it was the Christmas Eve 2009, which makes it even sadder that it was Christmas Eve. It was lunchtime and I went to my local KFC at the end of Brick Lane. And... Um, I went in to say, give him, get my order, which I'm not even going to repeat because it was so disgusting. And the guy behind the counter said, oh, Johan, we're so glad you're here. 
And I was like, okay. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he went back and he brought back a fucking massive Christmas card that everyone had signed who worked there. It was to our best customer. And they'd all written little like in-jokes to me. And my heart sank particularly because I suddenly thought, this isn't even the fried chicken shop I come to the most, right? But, <clears throat> but just like, okay, so I was at the extreme end of that wedge, right? Don't get me wrong. And most of you are not doing, not mainlining KFC the way I was. But, the, the, but what it fascinated me was to realize something similar has actually happened to our values. A kind of junk values have taken over our minds and made us mentally sick. I learned about this from a man called Professor Tim Kasser, who's at Knox College in Illinois. And Tim did this fascinating research. So for thousands of years, philosophers have said, if you think life is about money and status and how you look to other people, you're going to feel like shit, right? That's not an exact quote from Confucius, but that's the gist of what he said, right? Um, but weirdly, no one had scientifically investigated this until Professor Kasser started looking at it. So he knew when he started doing this research, there are basically two kinds of motives that human beings have, to put it crudely. So imagine that you played the piano, right? I'm totally unmusical, but maybe you're not. Imagine you play the piano in the morning because you love playing the piano and it gives you joy, right? That would be an intrinsic reason to play the piano. You're not doing it to get anything out of it. You're doing it because you love the experience itself. Okay, now imagine you played the piano for a different reason. Imagine you played the piano in a dive bar that you don't like to pay the rent or, um, you know, because your parents are pressuring you to be like a piano, uh, what's the word, maestro, or maybe to impress a man or a woman. I don't know if there's some piano fetishist out there or something. That would be an extrinsic reason to play the piano, right? You're not doing it for the thing itself. You're doing it for something you get out of it. Um, and, and Professor Kasser has shown two really interesting things. As a culture, we have become much more driven by extrinsic values. Much more of our lives are dominated by how we look to other people, how much money we have, how much status we have, uh, about showing off, and much less about the inherent value of what we're doing. But mo most importantly, what he's shown is we all move around between extrinsic and intrinsic values in our lives. But what he's shown is the more your life is driven by, by extrinsic values, the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious. By quite a big margin, there's been 14 really big studies that have shown this, uh, with depression and even more with anxiety. And that was really fascinating to me because I was thinking, well, what's going on there, right? And I think at some level, it's almost like a banal, it's almost like a cliche to say, you know, you won't lie on your deathbed thinking about all the things you bought, right? You won't lie on your deathbed and think about how much money you made. You'll think about moments of meaning and connection in your life. And yet, as Professor Kasser put it, our whole society is geared towards getting us to live and think in this extrinsic way, right? More 18-month-old children recognize the McDonald's M than know their own surname. So from the moment we're born, nothing wrong with the McDonald's M, by the way, it's responsible for at least two of my chins, but that, but that, but you see what I'm saying, right? That from the moment we're born, we're immersed in this machine that tells us the way you make yourself happy is to buy stuff, right? I mean, imagine if an advert that said, Jason, you look great today. You, you smell great. You're amazing. You're brilliant. You don't need to buy anything today. I'm loving this. <laughs> From the perspective of the advertising industry, that would be the worst advert ever, right? Advertising is like the ultimate frenemy. It's saying, oh, babe, I love you. If only you didn't stink so much. I mean, just telling you because I'm your friend, right? The <clears throat> and it's built upon constant... And it's part of a wider economic system that's built upon creating desire, creating a sense of unfulfilled desire, right? 
Um, the, the, and there's loads of experiments I can talk about that, that, that show this. And, and that, to me, was very challenging because it made me realise how much of my life had been driven by extrinsic values. It used to be when I started to feel depressed, what I would do was basically show off you know, try to big myself up. Like, before I came in here, I was looking at Instagram. And I was looking at, I happened to look at the Instagram of someone I know who's really depressed. And his Instagram is full of pictures of him looking really cheerful, in amazing locations, looking really hot. And, like, and you're like, oh, okay, th th this, this is, what you, I can see what you're doing. It's what I used to do. Sadly, I never had pictures where I looked really hot. But the, the, it's that thing about um, you're trying to boost yourself by extrinsically displaying yourself. And there's... Professor Kasser has shown loads of different reasons why you're, you become more depressed if your life is driven by junk values. One is, one of the things that really makes us feel good are what are called flow states, right? Flow states are when you're doing something, we will have all had this, for me it's writing, for you it might be running, it might be, yeah, whatever. When you're in the zone of doing something and you just, time seems to melt away and you're just present in the moment and you really feel you're flowing, right? The more you're driven by these junk values, the less you get into flow states. Because imagine you're playing the piano because you love it, right? And then imagine suddenly the thought comes to you, am I the best piano player in London tonight? How much am I going to get paid for this piano playing? Um, how do I compare to all the other piano players? You can see how that would jolt you out of that flow state, right? People who are really driven by extrinsic values don't have far lower levels of flow states. Another reason is junk values make your relationships much more insecure. So I'll give you an example. I need to double check the quote on this, but it's something like Melania Trump went to NYU in 2009, long before the catastrophe that's befallen us all. Uh, she went to, to NYU and she was giving a speech, I can't imagine why. And a student, a student asked her, would you have married Donald Trump if he wasn't rich? And she replied, do you think he would have married me if I wasn't beautiful? Now think what that reveals about the nature of their relationship, right? I don't mean this is a dig at, dig at I actually feel really sorry for Melania Trump, but you think about that. That means that if Melania Trump knows if she got fat, it's over, right? And Donald Trump knows if he stopped being rich, it's over. You can see how much more insecure that kind of relationship would be than people who just go, well, actually, I love him because he gives me joy and it's great to be around him, which obviously no one thinks about Donald Trump. But, the, the, but you know, that's an extreme end of the wedge. But actually, the more we become driven by extrinsic values, junk values, the more we all become like that, right? And, and I can remember feeling, having feelings like that, thinking, you know, um, what, what do I get out of this, right? The more you're in that zone of junk values, the more you start to think, oh, well, what do I get from this person? And then that's just a recipe for not having a good relationship with that, that person. So this, I think, is one of the nine, there's really strong evidence, this is one of the nine things that's driven up depression and anxiety in our culture. And you touch upon it a lot in the book, but, and you just touched upon it there, but advertising is just such an intrinsic part of our culture now. And we're, we're fundamentally advertisers of ourselves, aren't we? Like you said with social media, we're constantly out there projecting what we think as opposed to actually listening to the actual core values of what are going to make us happy. Do you reckon we are going to get round, back round to having a conversation about what it actually could take to make us happy as a community and, and individuals? Totally, and I've seen it happen, right? So, so um, as long as, well, let's talk about these nine causes. I went all over the world trying to find solutions, people who were doctors and other people who were pioneering solutions to these problems, right? And um, just say to me loneliness in a minute, in case I forget, but there was a moment when something really fell into place for me. Um, I was absorbing intellectually lots of things, and I went to see this South African psychiatrist called Derek Summerfield, who's a great guy, 
And Derek happened to be in Cambodia when chemical antidepressants were first introduced, right? And like me, he thinks they have some value but aren't solving the problem for most of us. And um, the Cambodian doctors didn't know what, what these drugs were, so they were like, what, what is this? And he explained, and they said, oh, we don't need them, we've already got antidepressants. And he said, what do you mean? He thought they were going to talk about some kind of herbal remedy or something. Um, instead, they told him a story. There was a farmer in their community who one day, he worked in the rice fields, and one day he got blown up on a, on a landmine that had been left over by the American invasion, and his leg got blown off. And they gave him an artificial limb, and he went back to work in the rice fields. But apparently, it's really painful to work underwater when you've got an artificial limb. I'm guessing it was pretty traumatic to go back into the field where he got blown up. He starts to cry all day, doesn't want to get out of bed, classic depression. They said to him... Um, uh, so they said to Derek, well, we gave him an antidepressant. And Derek said, what was it? They explained. They went and listened to him. They, they realized that his pain made sense, right? Not an irrational pathology. Actually, he was upset and depressed for very understandable human reasons. They figured if they bought him a cow, he could become a dairy farmer. He wouldn't be in this situation. So they bought him a cow. Within a few weeks, his crying stopped. His depression went away. They said to Derek, so that cow, that was an antidepressant. That's what you mean, right? What those Cambodian doctors knew intuitively is what the World Health Organization and the world's leading experts on this have been trying to tell us for years. There are real biological factors that can make you more sensitive to depression and anxiety, but the core of depression and anxiety is that our pain makes sense, right? If you're, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, you're not crazy. You're not a machine with broken parts. You're a human being with unmet needs. So what... what I wanted to understand was, well, what's the cow for us, right? What's the cow for the things that are making us depressed and anxious? And one of the things that was so encouraging was to see how these insights are just below the surface. I'll give you an example from not so far from here. Um, in East London, there's a doctor, a GP called Sam Everington, who's one of the heroes of my book. Um, and Sam was really uncomfortable. He's a GP in Bromley-by-Bow, poor part of East London, quite close to where I lived for a long time, though sadly he was never my doctor. And Sam was really uncomfortable because he had loads of people coming to him with depression and anxiety. And like me, he thinks chemical antidepressants have some value. But he could see that they were depressed and anxious for perfectly good reasons. And antidepressants were not solving those problems for them. Um, so one example is they were really lonely, right? There's been a huge increase in loneliness in Western culture. Across the board, there's an amazing American study that asks Americans, how many close friends do you have who you could call on in a crisis? When they started doing it years ago, the most common answer was five. Today, the most common answer is none, right? Now, we're not quite as extreme in those trends, but we're pretty close, right? And, and so Sam thought, well, what can I do that will help people with that? So he decided to try a different approach. A woman came to him called Lisa Cunningham, who I got to know. Lisa had been shut away in her home with extreme depression and anxiety for seven years, crippling depression and anxiety, barely left her house. And Sam said to Lisa, don't worry, I'm going to carry on giving you the drugs as well, but I'm going to prescribe something else. I'm going to prescribe for you to take part in a group. So he said there was an area of... Um, behind the doctor's surgery that was known as Dog Shit Alley, which gives you a sense of what it was like. It was like scrubland where dogs were going shit. And he said to Lisa, what I'd like to do, come twice a week. We're going to have a group of depressed and anxious people. I'll come and support you. We're going to turn Dog Shit Alley into a beautiful garden. Right? First meeting, Lisa was literally physically sick. She starts to talk to these people who often haven't been speaking to people they don't already know for a really long time. And 
they carry on meeting twice a week. These are inner city East London people that know anything about gardening. They start to get their fingers in the soil. There's really strong evidence. Exposure to the natural world is an incredibly powerful antidepressant. They start to learn, start trying to plant things. Some of them grow, some of them don't. They start to learn the rhythms of the seasons. They've got something to talk about that isn't how shit they feel. Um, and they do this thing that human beings do when we get together in groups. They start to solve each other's problems. There was one guy, this is an extreme example, but there was one guy in the group who'd been sleeping on the bus, the number 93 bus. Everyone else in the group was outraged. Of course you feel like shit, you're sleeping on a bus, right? They started lobbying the local council, Tower Hamlets Council, to get him housed. They succeeded, right? It was the first thing they'd done for someone else in years. It made them feel great. The way Lisa put it to me is as the, as the garden began to bloom, we began to bloom. There was a study in Norway, which fits with a much wider body of evidence, that found that program was more than twice as effective as chemical antidepressants. I think for an obvious reason. It's dealing with the reasons they felt so shit in the first place, right? And everywhere I went, the most effective antidepressants, which is important to say we should be offering alongside chemical antidepressants, not instead of them. This is about expanding the menu. I don't want to take anything off the menu. But the, the, the most effective antidepressants were the ones that deal with the reasons why we feel so bad in, in the first place. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you said to um, prompt you on loneliness, or, or will we cover that? Bit. All right, cool. Yeah, and I, I know that I shouldn't say this because you're here, but I, I genuinely was fascinated by this book, and also... The reaction to the book has been interesting as well because when it came out, there was a few articles written by people that I respect and, and really, really, really like as well that weren't necessarily taken. But I had already read the book because I'd, I was lucky enough to have a proof, and it was it was like you was having two different conversations. The, the you weren't remotely saying in this book, were you, that don't take antidepressants, were you? That's not the message of the book. Is it? Uh, to be fair to the people who wrote those articles, they admitted they hadn't read the book. Because um, the book, you know, so I, I, there's not much you can do as a writer if people are going to attack you for things you, don't, you clearly don't say. I say very clearly in the book, 
anyone taking chemical antidepressants, um, if for you the benefits are outweighing the side effects, you should carry on taking them. That's been my advice to some of my own closest relatives. Um, so it was a bit bizarre to suddenly be confronted with people saying, he's telling people to stop taking antidepressants, they're going to kill themselves. It's because it, it's just, but it's, a very, it's always very interesting. If you're saying something quite clearly and people are hearing something else, I think you need to approach that with a sense of curiosity, not condemnation, right? And I think you have to try to understand why. And I think some of the things that people hear when, I'm say, when I talk about these things are actually really instructive and worth having a conversation about. So part of what's happened, and there were often things that occurred to me in the process of researching this. So one of the things is, and I can talk about, a bit more about chemical antidepressants and their value in a minute. Uh, prompt me to do that if you can, Jason. But the, 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 one of the things that really struck me is, so for a really long time, we've been told there are basically two stories about depression. This is what I believe, right? Before I went to my doctor when I was a teenager, I thought depression was all in my head, meaning I was just weak, I needed to man up. I don't think that phrase existed then, but that sentiment. Um, and then for the next 13 years, I thought it was all in my head, meaning it's a chemical imbalance in your brain, right? So we've been told there's these two choices. Either you're a weak individual or you're biologically broken. And one of the things I learned is, it's important to stress again, there are real biological factors that can make you more sensitive to this. But actually, there's a whole other set ways, way of understanding this, which is actually the way we're living is broken. Uh, Krishnamurti, the great um, Indian philosopher said, um, it's no sign of good health to be well adjusted to a sick society, right? We, the way we're living is not meeting our basic human needs for most of us, and that's causing depression, anxiety, addiction, and all sorts of other problems for a significant minority of them. Um, but because we're stuck, in, we've been told for so long, right, either you're weak or you're biologically broken. If someone comes along and says, actually, I don't think it is that we're biologically broken, what a lot of people totally understandably hear is, fuck, you're saying it's my fault. You're saying I'm weak. Or uh, another thing that people hear, and this is a more subtle point, but part of my argument is that the, the job of solving depression and anxiety should never have been left just to depressed and anxious people and their families, right, and their doctors. We don't respond to car crashes by saying they should only be solved by people who've just been mangled in car crashes, right? We have a societal response to car crashes. We have driving tests and seatbelts and airbags, and we arrest drunk drivers. We have a whole range of things. If we didn't do those things, if we just said, hey, pay pedestrians, walk carefully, and hey, drivers, walk, drive carefully, we would have a catastrophic number, even more, I mean, it's pretty bad now, but an even more catastrophic number of deaths on our roads, right? So it's a societal problem. We have a societal response. What I'm saying with depression and anxiety is the causes are... To a large degree, there are other causes as well that I talk about, but the drivers of why it's increasing are social causes. We need a societal response. But understandably, a lot of people think, well, hang on a minute, I can't change our society. Now, part of what I'd say is actually banding together, we can change our society. As an isolated individual, you can't. Um, but banding together, I'm a gay man, I'm 39. I recently showed one of my nephews, who's 17, the things that used to be on the front page of The Sun when I was the age he is now about gay people. It's EastEnders when they had a gay kiss on EastEnders. Uh, we're right behind you, Michael, but not too close when Michael Barrymore came out. Just the most grotesque kind of homophobia. And he literally couldn't believe it, right? He was like, did people ring the police? Now, if the craziest UKIP counsellor tweeted the things that used to be on the front page of the best-selling newspaper in Britain, they would have to resign, 
right? So that's an incredible change. You could have said to gay people, look, listen, mate, you know, you're not going to change the society. Homophobia has been there for 2,000 years. You're just going to have to learn. You have to change the way you think and learn to live with this. If we'd done that, my life would be shit. Loads of gay people's lives would be shit. Actually, by banding together, gay people change the world, right? So there's partly that, that people can change. When we band together, we can produce social change. But also, and I understand this, I think about one of my closest relatives, right? She's a struggling single mum who works every hour she can to pay the rent. She gets home and she is fucking exhausted, right? And the idea of saying to her, well, it's your job now to democratise your workplace and fight for a universal basic income. I mean, it's just she's too knackered to watch Coronation Street, right? So I understand that, that to, to some people here, well, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're saying to me, um, that's, that's a difficult message, right? Which is actually, it's the job of the society to fix this problem. And you as an individual can make some changes, but actually you're up against something really big. This is really deep in our culture. And so I can understand why some people are like, that's really hard. But to me, the parallel is with obesity, right? Everyone in this room knows obesity has massively risen uh, across the Western world. It's not that we all just got lazy, right? The reason why they have, I think it's more than 50% people in Kentucky are obese, and, you know, I forget the figure, but it's less than 5% in the Netherlands are obese, is not because people in Kentucky are lazy and greedy. It's because in the US they have a terrible food distribution system, and they've built cities that no one can walk around, no one can bike around, and they work behind desks all day, right? That's a social transformation. Now, saying that to people in Kentucky who go, wait a minute, I'm obese, I need to lose weight. And it's true, that person on their own can't change the food distribution system. They can't redesign the city grid of Lexington, Kentucky, right? But we have to just be honest, if we're up against a big challenge, I just think it's cruel to tell people, actually, it's all on you, mate. Actually, as an individual, you caused this and you can fix it. Or just you're biologically broken because that might give you some temporary relief, but it actually, then we can't ever solve it, right? Because what we've been doing for the last 40 years is we've been telling people who are depressed, A, you're biologically broken, B, the only solution is chemical antidepressants. I stress again, I'm in favour of chemical antidepressants for some people. They do have some real value. Um, but then C, was it C? Yeah. Um, you know, if you have a society where we are ever lonelier, we are always being told that life is about money and status, where we are becoming more and more unequal, where, we're where we spend our time screaming at each other through screens. That's going to be a society with a growing depression and anxiety crisis for a very good reason, right? That is not a way of living that meets our deeper needs. And we need to have this conversation. And this isn't some wacky view from me. This is the view of the leading medical body in the world, the World Health Organization, who explained in 2011... Mental health is produced socially. It's a social indicator. It needs social as well as individual solutions. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to need to call on you guys to do a bit of a podcast editing for us. Um, literally, you need to come back with us and get it all in line for us because <laughs> Nicky's rubbish. He broke his leg and he let us down. So, And Tristan had to step in. Uh, by the way, round of applause for Tristan and Nicky, our producers right. here, please. And while I've got you on round of applause, if I can have a round of applause for Johan, please. And thank you so much for Johan for joining us on that one. Um, again, it was a fascinating discussion. I can't thank Johan enough once again for just being a perfect guest to queuing him up on Let It Off He Goes. That's exactly what you need, isn't it? And also, he's just... 
he always manages to charm the crowd. He, um, you really do have to see him live if you get a chance. So thank you so much, Johan, for that. Right, and as ever, the obligatory and much-needed thank yous from our side. Thank you so much for Topical Road Waterstones for hosting us on that evening. Thank you so much for Nicky and Tristan, the producers, on this. Thank you to John for our social media that he does on the Distraction Pieces Network. Make sure you listen to the Dream Factory podcast, which is his podcast. Thank you to John, our UK Leap social media person. Thank you to My Name Is Ad for the artwork you do. Please, if you need any artwork, go to My Name Is Ad. Find him on the internet. He is absolutely amazing. Genuinely, couldn't do this without you. Ad, thank you to Scribius Pet Ravens on your network. Find all the other distraction piece of network people. And on that big old ramble, I'm going to sign off. And thank you very much again for listening. Bye. Behind your barricade, yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricade. Southern stream. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.